Welcome to Podcast on Fire on Broken Arrow and Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. And after proving he could generate box office via his American action movie debut, Hard Target, John Woo delivered 1996's Broken Arrow and initiated a fruitful working relationship with one of its stars. Also, we'll be talking about a little swordplay movie from a Taiwanese director that won some Oscars and made some money. You know, let's let's talk about that a little bit. It's called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, you know, no biggie. <laughs> it's a little parenthesis in uh, in movie history. <laughs> uh, but uh, be, being so obviously sarcastic, but with me to go back in time in a proper a proper proper sincere manner to look back on these two movies uh, and the latter in particular is my previous uh, guest host, who's uh, back here in 2019. It is Doctor Stan Glick. Say hi, buddy. Hey. Hey everybody, good to be with you KB, glad that uh, we didn't wait as long as we did between the first two. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's my fault, everything is uh, obviously my uh, my fault, but I, I, I greatly enjoy our um, interactions and uh, we've, we've hit upon the theme of doing some western movies, plus some Asian movies in our coverage, uh, it's just... Uh, the way we roll, you know, we've discussed Face Off, we've discussed the Corruptor, so uh, we, we're right. talking uh, talking to sort of the Western adventures uh, of uh, these uh, actors and directors. But uh, it's it's um, it's a very important Western adventure. So, uh, and I really appreciate your your take on matters during our Corruptor review. review you weren't that boring boring bastard who said like totes not new york totes not new york they couldn't go there that fast you know you you saw <laughs> you sat back and viewed the movie <laughs> you know uh, being a native new new yorker and also right well there 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 was that one scene in one of the uh, one point i think mark Wahlberg was crossing a certain street and was like no that's not a two-way street that's a one-way street in new york such as life and such as movie making up in toronto or wherever are you going to talk back to Marky Mark? Do you have the Do you have the guts to do that? I spotted an uh, error in your movie. All right. Uh, uh, What's that about then? Say hello to your mother for me. Hey, I found an error by David Boardwell in his in the article that he contributed to the book on Crouching Tiger. So uh, Marky Mark's entitled. Everybody makes mistakes. Exactly. Uh, but uh, let's get to it. Uh, then uh, let's get into the Broken Arrow of it all and the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon of it all. But uh, first, some very brief contact information. This is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire Network, the flagship show of the network. And uh, we have this show in its entire archive located on podcastonfire.com along with all our other shows that covers Japanese cinema, Taiwanese cinema, Lisa cinema. We've done a run of ninja uh, shows all those got free ho movies and uh, we do bonus episodes every now and again if you have any questions or feedback including uh, some thoughts on broken arrow and crouching tiger hidden dragon your memories of watching both in particular maybe the memory of uh, seeing crouching tiger hidden dragon blow up in the west as much as it did let us know on email podcast on fire at googlemail.com or on social media join us for a discussion of uh, these things and uh, watch uh, show updates and uh, general discussions uh, over on uh, Facebook on our page uh, so you can click and like that you can also join the discussion group for where the, the main interaction between everybody occurs it's called Podcast on Fire Network and uh, it's easy to find join us over on Twitter follow our tweets and uh, of course subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, leave a star rating and even a review if you are on iTunes we would very much appreciate if you haven't had any thoughts on the show good or bad, but don't be a dick about it. Uh, leave some constructive criticism if you have it. And uh, finally, you can stream us on Stitcher Radio and a variety of other podcatchers. We're not on Spotify yet. I'm still looking into that because I am slow. I need to learn 
things, and uh, usually it takes a few years before I, I I learn how to submit something to something. So bear with me. We're going to be on Spotify if that's the way you consume podcasts. Uh, and I write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies over on SoGoodReviews.com. My video hub is LizzyKVideo.com and my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. You, uh, what do you spend most of your time on? Going to events and writing about them or you're content to uh, merely follow the, the local uh, film community, collaboration uh, or not? Or what's your sort of main creative occupation nowadays though? Mainly sitting around at home. Some of the places where things are shown, just so hard to get to. Uh, yeah, it's like if things are over on the east side, like north-south travel from the Bronx, the west side of the Bronx where I live into Manhattan is a, is easy peasy. Uh, but if I got to go across town, that's always a pain. And the, the Japan Cuts Festival this past year started right around the time that I went away on my summer vacation. And before that, it's, it seems like the New York Asian annual New York Asian Film Festival, which both of which these have great offerings, you know, but it's like as soon as the New York Asian Film Festival starts, there's an immediate horrible heat and humidity wave in New York. Yeah, I've heard a friend of the show, uh, Jerry King, says that, well, I'm going to try, but... Uh... It, it's it's just hellish at that time of the year, getting anywhere right. and in that heat as well. Yeah, well, Jared lives out on. I'm I'm not sure. I think he's out on Long Island. I don't think he's in uh, in uh, Nassau County or or Queens. And so that's that's a real schlep in for him. Plus, uh, you know, at this point he's got one young girl, and I think they've got another kid on the way. So uh, yeah, taking the uh, Long Island Railroad um, is never a great thing i mean i used to do that when i first started working in uh in manhattan in 1981 or so i was way out in stony brook uh port jefferson way out on long island it was like commute was hell so um you know i i mainly catch stuff on uh, online screeners or um a lot of the uh well go usa releases on blu-ray or dvd yeah you're spoiled uh, to hell and back yeah, as, a, as a hong yeah. kong film fan uh, it's very it's very nice though and, and mainland china slash hong kong film fan it's very nice though to see well go being on on top of it and trying even to get uh, cinematic uh, premieres at the same time as in china for certain movies uh whether they're limited runs or not so it, it, it's kind of nice how well go just keeps uh He's pumping in in that regard, whether it's uh, Hong Kong, Korean, or mainland Chinese. So that's uh, that's very very cool. I'm super looking forward to um, Li Changdong's Burning, which uh, there was a a recent uh, well go release that I saw, and they always have a uh, this thing uh, a section called previews, which are basically just trailers, and it's it's not it's sometimes it's ironic because they they're listed as previews, and often they're movies that they put out on Blu-ray or DVD months earlier, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, po- it's post of... view. Yeah. Post, <laughs> right. <laughs> post view. So, uh, uh, one of the recent ones that I saw had, had a preview for, uh, Lee Changdong's burning. And I am like a total Lee Changdong fan ever sure. since I saw Oasis. Um, didn't see it when it first came out. That's a hell of a way to start. If uh, you're going to be on board with a filmmaker, uh, or not, then choose uh, Oasis. It doesn't do, it's not an exploitation movie. I'm not saying that, but no. uh, you know, the the romance between uh, a girl with uh, with CP and an ex con, and it starts with a rape scene. Who, so who, yeah, who's who's mentally um, challenged? So we say the uh, the the ex con who who 
you know, <laughs> he, he took the fall for somebody else in his family, uh, not to give too much away in the movie. But yeah, I saw that. And then when I interviewed Lee, director Lee, uh, I'm not, I think it was for Secret Sunshine. One of the first things I said was, you know, uh, your first movie of yours that I saw, you know, was Oasis. I've seen everything since. But when I saw Oasis, I was haunted by it for weeks afterwards. And he went, oh, I'm sorry. I said, no, no, no. You got to understand, it was a good kind of haunting. It was like, it, it was, it was incredible. And um, he is, in my view, maybe the greatest world cinema director going these days. I mean, he's not very prolific. He started late. He was a, a, a an author, and then he got into movies late. And then he had a big long stint as like the director of cultural affairs for South Korea for a number of years. Um, and I think Burning may just be his sixth movie. Very, very measured. It's not like an Im Kwon Tech. It's like over 100 movies by now. You know, has, no. has worked for decades and decades and decades. But every one of Lee Chang's Dong has won probably multiple awards of one sort or another. And even Greenfish, which was a, a genre movie, you know, a, a crime thing. Uh, it's probably his weakest thing. Even that was really good. And and everything since then has just been outstanding. And he's I put him in with Federico Fellini, Ingmar Bergman. I mean, in terms of somebody who's created movies that are intelligent and just really world cinema, because it's like you don't have to be Korean to appreciate it mm -hmm. at all. It's about human beings and there's real depth to it. And this thing burning, I mean, it's based on a... Um, uh, a, a short story, I believe it is, by Murakami, you know, a Japanese great author. So uh, I can't wait to see it. I, I was gonna th I was thinking about seeing it in the theater, but it was like, it's over two hours long, and with my 70-year-old kidneys, sometimes <laughs> sitting through through something like that in a movie theater is a little bit more than I than I'm able to handle. So hey, uh, hey, I I need to I I need sometimes three days to watch a movie uh, because uh, my uh, I have uh, my patience is going uh, in my in my right. not advanced years, but uh, I certainly can't sit through two and a half hours like that, you know. Right. Uh, so uh, even Crouching Tiger, uh, I I watched 70% one even then. The rest right. uh, of an ex, but uh, that's uh, that's how it rolls. Uh, yeah. Sometimes yeah. when you get back to it, especially when you're doing notes and work, you, you you come back to it with a little bit more refreshed perspective, and you make some final notes on it all that you oh, I wouldn't have thought of that yesterday. Well, also too, I mean, you know, Crouching Tiger is roughly a two-hour movie, and if like me, you know, you're you're taking notes, you know, you're taking notes, you're hitting the pause button, you're hitting rewind, you're hitting pause again. To write stuff down from the subtitles and so it takes a good bit longer than two hours if you're really going to do a thorough job of it for sure it's not a real time endeavor that's that's yeah. that's the truth all right we uh, are going to cover that in the second half but uh, in the meantime we're going to take a promo break and after that we'll be back to review the first movie of this episode and it's john woo's 1996 movie broken arrow so stay tight listen to a promo from one of our friends in the podcast community and we'll be right back Smithy, you've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Wait a minute. What are you doing, Trev? I need fuel. Go ahead, quick, get in the car. Oh, no, 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 no. I just got a new copy of Evil Dead. And I'm watching that tonight. We'll bring it along. It can send that too. Wait, 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 wait. What happens to us in the future? No, 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 no. Both you and your Evil Dead collection turn out fine. As your kids, Smith, something's got to be done about our kids. They team up, 
and do their own movie podcast, they hate Evil Dead and Back to the Future. We'll have to show them how a funny and informative podcast is really done. Well, Trev, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. Listen to Mass Movies at UK. Available every Sunday by iTunes, Stitcher, and all good podcast outlets. Your jacket is not right. And welcome back. And the first uh, review coming up here is of Broken Arrow from John Woo. It's from 1996 and plot from IMDb goes as follows. Broken Arrow is the term used to describe a nuclear device that has been lost. In this movie, two nuclear missiles are stolen by rogue US uh, pilot Deakins, played by John Travolta. But hot on his trail is his co-pilot Hale, played by Christian Slater, and a park ranger Terry, played by Samantha Mathis. The action takes place in Utah's Canyon Country, a high-stakes game of uh, cat and mouse and Zeus and all of that. It's very um, easy and uh, because they, this is not a uh, human condition movie. <laughs> it's it's a very big old action movie. It's there, There's no juicy making of in for as such, but um, I, I have some notes on what happened during release because uh, Broken Arrow did uh, rather well. Uh, in at the box office, it, it grossed 15.6 million US dollars in its opening weekend and ended up at nearly 70 million, 71 million dollars domestically and, adi- and an additional 80 million US dollars internationally, including uh, including from me because I saw this in the cinema. So uh, studio execs uh, must have drawn the conclusion that there is something to pushing the name John Woo. People, I think, are going to the movies to see what this exciting new John Woo is about. Uh, uh, it was not a tremendously well-reviewed film necessarily, with the it has a current percentage on Rotten Tomatoes of 53, and both Siskel and Ebert gave Broken Arrow thumbs down, calling it cliched. But nevertheless, this was a leap-off point towards Face-Off. And uh, that, as we've discussed, became an even truer manifestation of John Woo's action style and uh, operatic drama being allowed to flourish in an American movie. So, you know, without Broken Arrow, no face-off. And uh, a sad life for for all of us, <laughs> depending on who, who you talk to. It's worth noting, by the way, that uh, John turned in a longer cut of the movie. And just like Hard Target, Broken Arrow had its run-ins with the MPAA, who demanded violence to be trimmed from the movie to get an R rating. You kind of see it in spots, and then certain spots you wonder why they, they, wow, they allowed that. That was gory. So, who knows how the MPA works and uh, if they're asleep at the wheel sometimes and uh, they're letting uh, things go. But, uh, I mean, even Face-Off had run-ins with the MPAA, but it doesn't show up in the movie as such because it is rather violent. So And Hard Target had tons of stuff in there, but um, not everything. Uh, John shot a rather hardcore movie, Broken Arrow, hardcore enough to have a little bit of run-in with uh, the MPAA. To, in today's world, I don't think... Uh, it would have a problem getting an R rating, you know. But at any rate, let's—we're already at the, at the movie stage. So, uh, as you might remember, Stan, we do uh, brief opinions first of all before we discuss uh, in detail what we think of Broken Arrow. So, in short, uh, what do you think of uh, Broken Arrow, and uh, did you see it at the cinema at the time of release? Okay, uh, Broken Arrow, two-word title, four-word review, worth watching. Lesser woo. You know, if I were to. Sh- uh, really shrink my brief review uh, but but I have some additional notes mine would be 
paging John Woo. Where are you? <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem like much of a John Woo movie other than in bursts, and it's more sort of generic 90s actioner in the vein of Die Hard and Under Siege, but it is enjoyable noise for while it lasts and for what it is. Uh, uh, but uh, you, you don't see the John Woo like the imported auteur here uh, that's going to set the action world on fire. He's sort of, he's sort of um, neutered a little bit, but again, without, you know, if Broken Arrow wouldn't have been his second movie, if he wouldn't have had a chance to do a second movie, there would have been no face-off where we had the unshackled John and uh, so I but but it is enjoyable to watch but it's not particularly special and uh, doesn't get me going like uh, hard even hard targeted you know there's no white doves whatsoever uh, oh you're in, right uh, <laughs> broken arrow uh, there there's no real gun foo a little bit of shooting I'm looking at uh, the IMDb IMDb page and there's a picture of uh, Christian Slater facing off against Samantha ha- Mathis. And it's sort of like a, you know, a Mexican standoff, the kind of thing that Wu does in a lot of movies, but, you know, most incredibly in Face Off. You know, he's got a pistol pointed right at her mouth. She's got a knife at his throat. You know, it's lesser. And I think it has to do with the story material and the actors. And, I, you know, some of it's his, his approach. The, the beginning of the movie is a, is a, a, a fight sequence in a boxing ring between Travolta's character and Slater's character. And these guys, I mean, especially Travolta, he's talking trash the whole time. They're punching each other in the face. Neither of them has headgear one. <laughs> Neither of them has a mouthpiece. And at the end of the fight... Because we're men! Men do this. Yeah. Nobody's cut. Nobody's bruised. Nobody, you know, the only thing that goes to show... Uh, that they were actually fighting one another. There's a little gesture that Slater makes after the fight. kind of indicates, oh, I feel a little bit sore over here where he hit me. And it was like, I mean, okay, yeah, stylistically I can understand it, but it's like it immediately kept me from getting into the movie because it was just like, these guys are punching the shit out of each other and, like, there's nothing to show for it. As opposed to the big finale uh, which takes place in a train car between Slater and Travolta, there, there's real damage done. Of course, you know, for the amount of, for, for the kind of hits that they're taking, you know, it, it, it it's a cinematic fight because they're, they definitely would not have been able to carry one in reality. But, uh, you know, I, I can deal with that. Like I said, at least in the ending, he, uh, he showed blood, he showed guts, he cuts and stuff. So, uh, it's not the worst foreshadowing of uh, tactics to come in the movie, using the initial fight scene uh, uh, in the boxing ring and using the boxing symbolism, talking of uh, uh, matches between Ali and whoever. Because n- normally, you would, if it was super obvious, you would just think to yourself, oh, that's going to come back. But who isn't that obvious about that Slater's character needs to... Well, it is obvious, but it's not uh, that annoying. That oh, we're, he's going to turn, he's going to beat his uh, mentor, he's going to beat his master, you know, eventually. So it, it's sort of a nice setup, and the movie isn't asking to be taken that seriously. Thankfully, though, because you know you you have the scene with Slater, you know, correcting his jaw a little bit, and then you have the um, the the funnest uh, vill- villain and guy in 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 the room, you know, uh, confidently sipping up and smoking uh, as he does it, and it's Travolta, you know, setting himself up uh, up as um, lovable and the guy you want to be, 
And John is shooting almost it like a poetry. And uh, having uh, the Hans Zimmer score underneath it. Dum, 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 dum. You know, so I, I, I'm sensing a detached sense of fun. Uh, thankfully, it's, you know, it's not that scary of a villain at any point. And he's got one-liners and, and stuff. But Tra- Travolta is, um, is on board here for... Uh, and, and walks the line fairly well uh, in terms of uh, how over the top he's, uh, he's gonna uh, take this and uh, then Slater as more of the straight man needs to learn how to not blink and to conquer his mentor by the end and blah 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 all of that stuff I wanted to get back into one thing go back to hard target a little bit how did you feel John transitioned from Hong Kong to Hollywood in one swift move because if you remember hard target he was it was a big gunplay movie. You know, it wasn't just Van Damme stuff, but uh, it was a quite a lot of uh, shooting and a lot of uh, echoes from Hard Boiled, uh, li- literal echoes. So in, when you saw Hard Target, did you feel that that was like, whoa, they really brought him over to do his thing? Or did you feel it was a watered-down version of, of Wu? To tell you the truth, I don't think I saw Hard Target until sometime after it came out on uh, video. I don't think I saw it in... In the theaters, I may have seen Broken Arrow in the theaters, but it was at a time where I really didn't know John Woo. I mean, you know, we're talking about um, Broken Arrow was '96, around the middle '90s. That's when I was just getting into stuff and 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 Hong Kong things, and I hadn't hadn't really seen that much John Woo stuff in '90 '96 when uh, Broken Arrow came out. Hard Target came out in '93. As you said, it starred Jean-Claude Van Damme. And um, one of the things for me, I do remember seeing it on, I'm sure it must have been on DVD, is that it's really a variation, which is a polite way of saying it's a ripoff of the <laughs> uh, movie from 1932, The Most Dangerous Game, which was directed by uh, Irving Pichel, or Pichel, I'm not sure how, how, sure how it's pronounced, Hunting Live Human Beings. Um, and... Uh, you know, I thought I thought Hard Target was was a, a decent enough movie. When I later saw Wu's Hong Kong stuff, you know, it's it's certainly toned down a great deal as far as I can remember. Again, it's been a long, long time since I'd seen it. But what, one of the interesting things for me is, if I can digress a slight bit, is like I say, '93 Hard Target came out starring Jean Claude Van Damme, directed by John Wu. In 1996. Maximum Risk came out, starring Van Damme, with Natasha Henstridge, directed by Ringo Lamb, who sadly died fairly recently. Yes. Um, and then in 97, Double Team came out, starring Van Damme, <laughs> with Dennis Rodman, directed by Choi Hock. And 98, Knockoff came out, again starring Van Damme, and somehow with Rob Schneider. And Michael Wong. Don't you dare neglect to mention Michael Wong as in Knockoff. I, I just, I just, I just, I just took, took a glance at the IMD page. I didn't, <laughs> didn't, I didn't do a thorough look at it. I, I, was, I was mainly interested because you have this period from '93 to '98, five years, where these three big name Hong Kong directors have come and done Hollywood stuff in the United States. My own personal feeling is that they were somewhat testing the waters, because as you recall, Hong Kong was turned over to mainland China back in '97. So I, I think part of what was going on there was they were they had some opportunities. They decided to take advantage of it to see whether or not if they needed to, they could come work in the United States and and, you know, 
and and not get done in by um by the handover i mean but but, but you know what the, the fun thing is is still that uh, we we have broken arrow that that feels milder for whatever reason and hot target if you rewatch it uh, you you'll notice at least in the second half that uh, they allowed john to sort of go for it just just uh, go nuts uh, it wasn't watered down thankfully i mean the mpaa required cuts galore really but it was still very much present and uh, you know if you get the unrated hard target essentially the european version then then you you'll you get as full picture officially as you can by this point because the, 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 there's a work print out there as well um so it's it's really cool uh, in, in terms of Troy Hack and Ringo Lam and it, it's it's difficult to sort of determine which cinematic identity should you bring over in terms of Troy Hack and they brought him over to do double team which is okay uh knockoff is more fun because it's more visually experimental and just uh, crazy and uh, Ringo it's a decently gritty movie um decent enough i rewatched it for our series on Ringo but it's certainly didn't uh, take off and john was the director that took off but uh you know do do yourself a favor and uh watch hard target knowing what you know because it's a really it really is extraordinary how much they let him go and in broken arrow for whatever reason it's um it comes and goes in bursts uh well you know while enjoyable as a movie it doesn't feel very imported hong kong style brought to america which they wanted to do they always say like come over we'll let you you know we'll let you uh, be introduced to a wider audience and then that doesn't happen it happened with hard target sort of broken arrow we're gonna put a muscle on you for a little bit you're gonna have to play nice i i forget i somebody came up with a with a quote and i don't i forget who is attributed to that you know 90 percent of of success in movies due to casting and i think one of the problems with broken arrow is that Christian Slater is not a match for Travolta mm-hmm, in no. my book. And and you got Samantha Mathis, who is pleasant enough, but is like the idea of Riley Hale, Christian Slater ca- Slater's character, and Terry, uh, Samantha Mathis's character, the park ranger, dealing with these mercenaries who are like stone-cold killers. I mean, and these guys take out heavy-duty Special Forces troops. <laughs> they take out um, Delroy Lindo, who plays a colonel. Now, what a colonel is doing, flying in a helicopter on a mission with a machine gun or an automatic weapon, you know, I don't know, because, I mean, it doesn't really happen, you know, but he, well, I don't want to give it away, but let's just say that the hardcore people who work for Travolta, these mercenaries, kill it and take out all these heavy-duty guys, and somehow Slater and Mathis, you know, managed to survive everything and and prevail in the end. It's just like they are a bit soft in that regard. I very much agree on that. But it, did you know? Does it have infectious noise? You know, when it's when explosions start going off and all the tough shots happen with uh, helicopters roaring through the frame and vehicles and you know guns. You know. Does it have a vibe that gets you in any way where like, okay, bring on the noise, you know, bring on the slow-mo explosion, bring on a little bit of slow-mo gunplay. Is it infectious in any way where you just sit back and, ooh, I like, I like this noise. It's a, sort of, I can dislike it, but I can't at the same time. It never really grabbed me. It, it, it entertained me. You know, like I said, I, I'd seen it years ago and then I, I actually went out and when you proposed it, I, I bought the Blu-ray and... Uh, very disappointed. Nothing but <laughs> nothing but uh, trailers on it. No, no commentary. No nothing. No making of or or anything. It's it's definitely worth watching. 
Uh, it actually has a fairly decent meta score on, uh, according to IMDb, of, of 61, in, which is in the green. But like I say, it's it's definitely lesser will. And the main thing, as as you've alluded to, is that it did so well that it allowed Wu to do Face Off the following year, 97. Face Off, you know, to me, is the greatest Hong Kong movie that happened to have been made in the United States. I mean, it's it's the epitome of everything that Wu was known for in Hong Kong. Y you have in Broken Arrow the two guys who are somehow bonded together, you know, which is which is a trademark, just like you have it in, in Face Off, but... You know, it's not nearly as good as Face Off. And, of course, you have it in many of Wu's um, uh, Hong Kong action films. You know, you know, the, you know the, in the sort of cop and killer interplay like in The Killer, it is certainly not, uh, even though you can connect that to, you know, the, those opposites uh, going against each other. It, you know, the, it's a bit unfair to compare to The Killer because they obviously stand side by side uh, during the end uh, but uh, they are contrasts uh, in a way you know it's for me it's um, it, it's part nostalgia this movie although I can recognize it it's mild but it's it's not unlike the sort of beat of a 90s movie that Tony Scott could have handled and I don't care what anyone said I was a big fan of Tony Scott I still am but I say was because mm. he unfortunately is not with us anymore you know right. Broken Arrow has this sort of constantly moving camera it's circling the room it's circling the actors is always moving and for for some reason and and i'm not making excuses I, I do like that beat when i find it it secures pace for me stan it's uh it's it's sort of bombastic in a slight comfort viewing way although broken arrow is not the best out of those selection of movies that you can just put on but but it has enough of that where where it's uh good old-fashioned 90s fun but technically it's uh you know it, it's all, all for all those big, loud, and sometimes irresistibly stylish little slow-mo moment, moments. What I took away from it this time, to be very honest, because it is 2019 after all. When was the last time you saw a good old-fashioned good old movie using miniature work for plane crashes and things like that, Stan? That, that, that almost stood out in a way where, whoa, I haven't seen that in a while. They have little toys that they set on fire. <laughs> and uh, to be honest, because it's physical and it's there, it survives the, you know, it survives being 22 years old, 23 years old, while ropey CG from the 90s certainly does not. I mean, there, there, there's instances here of like lights, uh, uh, you know, spotlights hitting the sky. And it's sort of super floaty 90s CG, PlayStation 2 style graphics. But, but the miniature work, and the physical uh, and, and the physical pyrotechnics that's still the stuff that uh, I, I admire because it's, it's well enough put together and uh, it also um, provides that 90s noise that I grew up with a little bit and I'm weak for and uh, so that part of that sort of technical action execution they they sort of pull off with gusto and uh, make us go ooh you know fire boom but it's not woo it's not the entire sort of canon of Wu action. He, he puts his stylish eye to work and uh, you, you see little subtle uses of slow motion in life, places you don't expect them. So, so certain of that stuff doesn't feel forced. But I'll tell you, the movie that I probably can't return to because I just remember this style feels forced and it's probably John's Mission Impossible 2. I just felt like th this is... 
this is just someone sort of like poking John and saying, hey, 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 that stuff, that's cool, do it, do it, do it, we gotta look cool. And uh, so I, I give Broken Arrow credit for um, feeling a bit more natural in that regard. Even the Mexican stand-up that you hinted at, I was like, hey, okay, that's kind of cute. You know, those characters are weak, as you said, uh, Slater and Matthew's characters. But hey, he did a little Mexican standoff. Near the, near the end of the movie also, when a lot of action is taking place on this on this train, uh, uh, I think Matthew's character has, has separated car that Travolta and uh, Slater are, are in uh, versus the front of the uh, train. And the I guess it's the, the train conductor who's working for uh, Travolta's character steps out of the cab, he's on the side of it with a high-power rifle, and he's blasting away at her, and she's got this little pistol. I mean, she's a park ranger with a little pistol, and she takes the guy out, and it's like, again, it's like, I see that. Maybe I'm just overly critical or, or too demanding, but I see that I'm going, this guy's got this rifle. I mean, and he must know how to use it, because otherwise you don't have that kind of weapon available. And he can't get her, and she's got this little pop gun, and she takes him out. It's like, nah, I'm not buying that from a park ranger. No, but you're right, though, because when you suspend, you know, the whole suspension of disbelief, you know, when that happens, that's cool. When you can oh, sort yeah. of forget about it, because that means the movie is, uh, you know, doing its thing in a dependent right. way, where you just go, wow, how cool. Oh, cool. I mean, you need a face-up. You know, you, got, you, you need to buy the face transplant thing. You know, we, we, we show this on little Windows 95 uh, systems here that we're going to take your face and put it put it on him and uh, look at look at the animation that switches your face to his face. That's going to work. If you don't buy that, then you're screwed, but you don't you don't question it in face-up because you're, uh, you're involved. And then, of course, I think we mentioned it in our discussion of face-off, God, four years or so ago, <laughs> subsequently, they actually did facial tra- part, at least partial facial transplants. So it's like a lot of times what science fiction and whatever in a few years becomes reality. And um, that was a, that was a thing where the, the way it was presented, the, the, the machinery that they used and all, I could buy it. I have no trouble suspending my disbelief exactly. if, it, if they're if the if the director the filmmaker is giving me enough that I can grab onto mm-hmm. and say okay I got this I'm going to hang up my disbelief over on the wall hanger and I'm going to hold on to what you're presenting me with it doesn't quite happen <laughs> for me with broken arrow for sure got some good points to it but on the other hand as you know as I'm we're going to say I'm sure sure in crouching tiger hidden dragon no trouble suspending disbelief in terms of what these characters do. None whatsoever. I am there. Oh, they're traveling like that from one building to another down the side. Of the- yeah, I, I can see them doing that. And if it's well executed and you're involved, then there's indeed no problem buying that. Uh... Exactly. And again, that has to do with the, the casting, with the characters, and and how deep is the story. Mm. And... um. Those kind of things are are a bit on the shallow side, I think, when it comes to Broken Arrow. Speaking of casting, though, you you alluded to it, but uh, how do you think uh, Travolta merges with uh, Zoe Wu? Because uh, Wu is clearly having visual playtime with 
John Travolta, you know, he shoots him in all manner of cool ways right. and letting him glare and letting him play like you read about. So uh, how do you think his uh, villain, who, who's never designed to be scary, but rather uh, this rock and roll villain, man. And uh, hey, I'm John Travolta. It's so weird. So, yeah. so how, uh, how does it fare, you think? I think it fares very well. It's almost as if it was an audition tape for Face Off. <laughs> his performance in Broken Arrow. There's There's things that he does certain gestures, certain looks. It's like, oh, he does something, if not identical, very close to that in face-off. But there, it's at a whole other level. I mean, for one thing, he's playing two two different characters, <clears throat> as is uh, Nicolas Cage, um, which adds even greater depth. But uh, when he's playing the good guy's body with the bad guy inside of it, there's a lot of the things that he does that are just like things he does in Broken Arrow. So uh, it's this all this sort of detached. Uh, he's he's detached. He's he's got the perfect plan, but he's sort of detached and having fun and like yeah, that's us. Let's put that nuclear bomb. Let's set that nuclear bomb off. Like fuck them if they take can't take a joke. Exactly. That's just what I was about to say. That line is it's perfect. It's like, fuck them if they can't take a joke. And it's like a, the other guy's going, wait a minute. I didn't sign one for this. I don't want to die. You know, and it's like, hey, you got to have you're going to die eventually. This is as good a way as any. Boom. But yeah, to me, it's a, it's kind of inspiring to see them gel the way they do, and and even more so in Face Off, and then they had actual drama for Face Off too. So it wasn't just all Travolta sort of cinematic dancing, uh, you know. Uh, that's the sort of symbolism for just having fun as an actor. But uh, he he really steals the movie a little bit, and is uh, is still as this overconfident villain, and uh, and and that Slater, as you said, is able to get under his skin. It, it's a tough buy. Uh, where he just says like, "Well, you're 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 screwed in the head," and then he shoots at him and screams "ha," and then runs away. And he says, "Oh, I got under his skin." <laughs> no, yeah. you didn't really. I I actually like Slater as a performer, but he got better as the years went by, and he needs material to to sort of respond properly. But um, where, when there there isn't material there, he, he can be a bit shaky, especially at this time. But uh, the burst of gunplay. They're fun while they last, but you wish for it to be a bit more extensive. I mean, for sure, the mineshaft shootout is a bit more ex- extensive. We got some slow motion peril and bloodshed as one of the uh, villains drops uh, his shot and then he drops a grenade and Slater catches it in slow motion. So there are signature moments here where you go, ooh, but they're curiously short. And uh, I think the longest example where I felt like, oh, we got a Hong Kong vibe going on here is during the train court finale where they are shooting at each other in that limited space and the choreography is a little bit more extensive. They run from left to right to more cover. There's obviously things set off that's going to simulate guns being fired and hitting something. And there it started to be a bit more extensive and then it sort of ends. It's... um, these bursts feels like more more like oh this must be John Woo's first American movie because they're not yeah. letting him do stuff, and I I found that a little bit um, that stop and start nature as well executed as those bursts are if you break them down, that stop and start nature was kind of disappointing. It was back then too, but I had fun enough and I still had have fun enough. But in in hindsight, they're all really curiously. Um, Curiously uh, mild, these uh, these uh, these things. Right, Travolta going in that final scene in the on the train. You know, 
put down your weapon or I'm going to press the button and set off the nuclear bomb. So put down your weapon. You know, it's like all of a sudden it like comes to a big halt. And then it's like, okay, now he's going to take off his jacket and now we're going to go back to the boxing ring, except it's in, you know, here, here they're playing for real high stakes. I kind of dug that final scene though, because Tra Travolta is, uh, they're hurting each other a little bit more by this oh, point. Yeah. And Travolta is, and you, know, you know, when he presses his finger against Slater's temple, Deakins is now really full on mad, but not, but Travolta is still walking the line. I mean, the trailer line is just still wonderful where Slater says, you're out of your mind. Yeah, in cool. <laughs> Right. And his smile is all very infectious. That, that, that that's why that rock and roll villain kind of largely works. Uh, it's working a better movie. The, or the movie can't keep up with Travolta. But uh, I think um, th there is a sync there between John and John that yeah. was then brought over to uh, to face off in a big big manner. I mean, pe people were talking of like he's found his new giant fat in the West. Uh, if you were to compare, like this is his giant fat. And I, I don't think they were far off in terms of that because when actor and director gel, it's kind of magical how it just uh, how it just works. I mean, they work twice, of course, uh, which is less than than John and Chow did, but still, it's um, it, it's rather neat. And it was neat back then to see. But when Face Off was made, that was when it just clicked. Obviously, then then everything was sort of like, oh my, he did it! Like John has arrived from Hong Kong to America finally, and Bro Broken Arrow was. Uh, not the sort of uh, ultimate example of it all. No, we got face off too. So, so yeah, the, 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 there is balletic ribbon to the gunplay in, in the train court finale. So uh, you got that, but uh, not much, unfortunately. But um, it doesn't hurt going back to it uh, if you uh, if you like the nineties action as akin to this. But John is uh, curiously uh, cu curiously uh, neutered a little bit here. So uh, for whatever reason, but uh, yeah, good enough. 110 minutes when it, it's um you, it leaves you immediately <laughs> just for for listeners out there uh, so you know uh, when it comes to john woo uh, uh his 2002 film uh, wind talkers which i thought was a pretty good film uh starring never, never uh, saw that for some reason i don't know why. never saw that no, no. with uh, with nicholas cage i mean you know it, it's funny for Broken Arrow he did with travolta and then he did with travolta and face off which also included nicholas cage and then well, Mission Impossible 2 came in between. John Woo then used Nicolas Cage again in 2002 Wind Talkers, which is about the, uh, I believe it's Navajo tribesmen during World War II who had, they were the ones who were instrumental in, in U.S. victory because the, the Japanese were unable to break their language. Um, and that's available, uh, included with Amazon Prime, if uh, people have that. And uh, Wu's recent movie, I think maybe his latest one that's come out, not very highly regarded, but Manhunt, uh, that's available on Netflix streaming. So a uh, couple freebies if you uh, have those uh, streaming services. Yeah, Manhunt was uh, was a struggle. There were bursts there too, but uh, not good enough at all. Um, yeah. I, I I really I, I mean we we've done a review on it on, on the on the shows. I won't go over it again. But my main memory of that is feeling so sorry for the actors who are not native English speakers and given English dialogue almost unprepared. It seems like yeah, uh, right. you know talk English, it'll be fine. Uh, yeah. so, so I felt, felt really bad uh, because I, I really didn't like Manhunt but that doesn't tarnish the memory of uh, the cinematic legacy that that, that that is present in there so obviously yeah. no negativity in that regard uh, any other notes before we do the availability of Broken Arrow nothing more I think we've said everything that I wanted to say right on um, 
Let's tear up the notes. <laughs> I just that, that was that was my two pages. Now, now they're in quarters. <laughs> there you go. Ready to move on to the really great movie. Well, we're going to talk availability a little bit uh, for Broken Arrow, and it is widely available on Blu-ray and digital for very reasonable prices. Uh, and it, as Stan said, there's been no push to produce any special features for the film, so it's all bare bonus when you pick it up either on disc or on iTunes. Uh, I, I've seen at least one TV special, uh, which was a making-of that focused a little bit on the stunts, but uh, uh, that was online only, and probably only for TV, and obviously not for discs, so that that's not on any official release, but uh, it... it uh, highlighted the uh, final stunt where uh, where characters kicked out of the train cart and does quite a mighty uh, fall if, uh, uh, onto um, not into a river but uh, it's uh, it's above a river at that point and he lands on the ground so it's a pretty neat stunt but uh, other than that it's been uh, we, we don't know too much about um, broken arrow but uh, uh, i would be happy would be happy to hear some more making off but that's where we're at currently if you if you want to, you can also see the 1950 uh, Broken Arrow movie starring uh, James Stewart. Uh, it's a western. Oh, it might have slight similarities. To <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, uh, we're going to take a musical break, listen to a little bit of the, of the iconic Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon score. And after that break, we're, we're going to be uh, back here to discuss uh, some more extensive background on the two thousand movie that set uh, the west uh, on fire really in an unexpected way at least in my eyes back in 2000 so sit tight and we'll be back to discuss crouching tiger hidden dragon Welcome back, and uh, in the uh, second half of this episode, we're going to talk a big one. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon from 2000, and... uh plot from the Love HK film review of the film goes as follows. Uh, Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon is the epic tale of two couples as they come to grips with the realities of living in the martial world. On the older side of the spectrum we have Lee Mo Bai, played by Chai Yun-Fat, and Yu Xu Lian, played by Michelle Yeoh, two adept martial artists whose plans for retirement are interrupted by the theft of Lee's prize possession, the Green Destiny Sword. The other couple in this foursome includes uh, Jen Yu, played by Zhang Ziyi, a beautiful, well-to-do noble who is more than she seems, and Lo, played by Chang Tian, the swarthy bandit with a heart of gold and known to the masses as Dark Cloud. While Mu Bai and Xu Lian have grown weary of the trappings of their Jiang Hu underworld, Jen thirsts for it. Uh, aligning herself with Jade Fox, played by Cheng Pei Pei, a vicious kung fu mistress and a killer of Mubai's Wudan master. The movie centers on the question whether the talented Yen will remain a pawn of the evil Jade Fox or become a faithful disciple of the stoic Li Mubai. So before we do the review, there's um, a fair amount of uh, background here because I don't need to tell you, Stan, that this was a phenomenon on release. And uh, I can't believe 18 years has gone by, essentially, because I I, I was sort of aware of uh, that it was building and 
building, a building. Uh, but uh, I'm sure we'll share some memories of that. But uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was directed by Ang Lee, who was back in making a Mandarin language film again after a period where he made free English language films, including Sense and Sensibility and The Ice Storm. And then the third one, and I can't remember the name of it, it stars Toby Maguire. I do know that. Ride with the Devil. That's right, that's right. The Western, Ride with the Devil. An action movie. Yes, yeah, yes, that's correct. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was if it was critically acclaimed or not, but they, it certainly isn't spoken of as highly as Sense and Sensibility and um, The Ice Storm. But um, uh, it might be a solid run of uh, English language films for the uh, director of Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, and the Wedding Banquet, and uh, so forth. Like many wuxia films, uh, that Crouching Tiger is as a story, as a genre. It was based on one such novel by writer Wang Du Lu, who conceived and wrote Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as part of a series in the late 30s, and this was the fourth book. Its eventual Oscar, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, we'll go back and forth in terms of the background here. Its eventual Oscar for Best Foreign Language Film, and it also won for Best Art Direction and Score and Cinematographer. It went to Taiwan, but this was co-produced by China, Hong Kong, the US and Taiwan. It was also shot in Beijing, as well as uh, in the provinces of uh, Anhui, uh, uh, Hebei, Jiangsu and Xinjiang provinces, so they went all over the place. And Ang Lee has talked of the stress and toll the shooting took on him. Um, He had no energy to be happy, really, because he feared he would have a stroke before the end of shooting. I know the cast and crew weren't too happy shooting in the Gobi Desert. That was apparently one of the most strenuous pieces of uh, celluloid that they captured, because those conditions were, to put it mild, hot. Yeah, well over a hundred. Oh, and Jesus. Say, say nothing of the uh, the crew. At least at one point, got lost during a sandstorm, <laughs> oh, no. and th- they didn't make it back to the hotel. I think until sometime the next morning, the trucks just got lost out in this. Same, same time next morning, lads. Yeah, oh, great, right. Great. <laughs> I think Michelle Michelle Yeoh said that uh, doing Crouching Tiger probably took five years off of Ang's life. And he's always a, always a happy-go-lucky, seemingly. So, so I yeah. can't imagine him being like this uh, devil on set, like, ah, fuck, oh, fuck you, fuck you all, fuck you all, I hate this. <laughs> no, the opposite. Exactly. He tells stories of the human condition, really, and humans. And, um, you know, he, he didn't seem like an aggressive director. But um, uh, he, uh, to, you know, working with uh, the action choreographer from Hong Kong, Yun Wo Ping, uh, he insisted, uh, probably together with him, conceptually, to try and have the actors do as much as their fight scenes as possible, both on ground and in the wires. And because the, clearly the makers wanted the story to have impact in the action and uh, be, be able for us to see their faces, because the action tells the story as well. And not just uh, have graceful movements done by the stunt persons only. And you can see that there's a good focus on keeping the actors in it and doing stunt doubling for advanced martial arts. A challenge was also language, apparently, which I can't really pick up on because I, I don't know any Cantonese or Mandarin and so forth. But Chai Fat speaks Cantonese. Michelle Yeoh is Malaysian. As she said, I only know conversational Mandarin, really. She doesn't even read Chinese. Exactly. And Chai, in fact, uh, expressed or people talked of the fact that he had to just burn film because take after take was a difficult, it was a difficult thing to get language right and in and get the drama right, obviously, because uh, even if you pronounce it right, 
yeah, it, it has to sound right for dramatic storytelling. And Michelle Yeoh learned phonetically and tried to get through it that way. And it led to criticism from those, I guess, who could pick up on the accents, uh, that, it's, uh, that it varied heavily between the leading actors. Uh, and conceptually, the makers did say that they intended the characters to have different Mandarin accents, but even the Beijing crew uh, would have trouble following the dialogue on set. So I guess it's a toss-up between do you keep this in sync sound or do you dub it? And thankfully, Stan, this was a sync sound movie. So, um... Well, Michelle, Michelle Yeoh told Ang that you can't change any of these words because it takes me so long to, to learn them. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, if, 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 if you change something, I won't have time to, to learn it before before we film so uh apparently they stuck pretty close to what became the final script in terms of the words and that's an understandable demand to make as an actor you know what i mean yeah no i i, I don't i don't i don't mean to imply at all that she was nasty about it but she, she, she just she just let him know listen i'm not going to be able to handle it if you change these words on me because it's so insane you know um, for me trying to learn it to begin with. So. It, it would be so sad if the actual story was that uh, Ang Lee listened and said, yes, yes, of course, and then promptly the next take, okay, change the script. Now, I like, think it'd let's... be better if you said this. Not to get into it too extensively now, but there was a whole thing. It's a miracle that this film came out to be the masterpiece that it is. I mean, for me, it's a perfect 10. That's my two-word review of it, perfect 10. Um, or a masterpiece, either of those two two uh, phrases. The story that it was based on, there was no translation in English. Oh, really? Wow. No, there was no translation at all. So Seamus, you know, Ang Lee's, I mean, Ang Lee describes him as, James Seamus says, you know, he's my producer, he's my screenplay writer, and he's my salesman. I mean, they've been together for umpteen years at that point. Even, uh, even when he made Taiwanese films, James was there to write the uh, scripts. His first three movies, which you mentioned earlier, uh, sometimes called the Ang Lee's Father's no, Father Knows Best trilogy. Um, Seamus was with him on that. So Seamus had, did not have the original story to, to read because there was no English translation. Plus, it was like, God knows, a thousand pages or more. It was pulp. It was like put out in, you know, uh, over time. And, and, and they were talking talk about how, like, you know, one week might be really, really good. And then there may be three or four or five weeks of installments that were shit. And then two weeks that were good. But he had a, he had a precis that he read, fairly extensive. And then he would write the screenplay. Then somebody would translate that into Mandarin. And then it would come back and be retranslated into English. And all of a sudden, Seamus would pick up on certain nuances that got added because he doesn't know Mandarin. He doesn't know how. And, and, and somehow they came up with a beautiful script. And Seamus said that one of his things was he was writing it in terms of like what he called like an interna international subtitle approach, like doing it so that the subtitles would appeal you know, internationally, because the whole movie was from the get go, apparently was, you know, it was not planned as just a Wuja movie that would appeal to the Chinese audiences, wherever they may be. It was it was intended to be an international film that hopefully would be a hit. It was uh, made on a 17 million dollar US dollar budget. And the film broke through in America and internationally, uh, and it played in original language and subtitles to a wide extent. I mean, there, there was an English dub track made, but that wasn't what was played 
in the majority of the theaters. Uh, no. And it grossed nearly 214 million US dollars worldwide, and 128 million of that was in America alone, making it then and still the highest grossing foreign language film produced overseas in American history. No, no one has been able to match that because. Uh, uh, there's a major gap in second place is still 1994's Life is Beautiful out of uh, out of Italy. The memories is that uh, of this was that I, I, I did see it because I was following Hong Kong movies to a degree and uh, I love Giant Fat. So there was this like, this movie's talked about. And then you look into it a little bit. I mean, we still had access to the internet and box office figures. This movie's mm-hmm. seen. People are watching this and stuff I've been watching for a, for a few years they're watching it and enjoying it and it's subtitled it's not uh, uh westernized where it plays dubbed only and it's playing on its own terms and i was just amazed that it's argued that it should be this and he was fully accepted stan which is a case of let the audience decide for you what is acceptable or not don't don't uh, make the determination that well american audiences will only accept the english language because no one likes to read subtitles don't make that determination for the audience because 18 years later 19 years later remember crouching tiger hidden dragon you know remember how that made money we were all happy because we made money and guess what we made we made money because people like to read so it, it's this amazing example of uh, that that wasn't common at the time that uh, yeah. martial arts movies just got a fair chance in um, in any territory really. But you know, if we focus on America, seeing the subtitle and in Mandarin and uh, getting to be embraced for that very fact and being a complex film to a degree too was was oh, wonderful. Very. Was wonderful because there was no uh, issue really. I think when when people sat down, they were just enthralled by the movie and the story and. And reading wasn't this like, oh, 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 not at all. They just loved it, man. One of the things was it opened, somehow it managed to open on time at the <laughs> Cannes Film Festival. Okay, we'll get into this. I won't mention it now. But the first sequence of action, uh, Zhang Zi's character steals. <laughs> Spoiler alert, <laughs> I'm going to talk about the movie. Um, she steals the Green Destiny sword. And uh, Michelle Yeoh's character chases after her across rooftops, up and down walls, whatever. At the end of that, we're talking about the Cannes Film Festival. We're talking about people who are like really spoiled about films, so to speak. They burst into huge spontaneous applause. It was practically a standing ovation, according to... And it's not even over. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is is just the first action sequence. We're not even talking about (laughs) the bamboo forest. We're not talking about the face-off in uh, uh, Julien's uh, office near the near the, towards the end of the movie. It opened, you know, it was at the Cannes Film Festival. It opened in um, in Hong Kong, I think, in the summer. It opened last in the United States. So one of the things was that it had opened and played all around the world, and there had been this huge buzz about it for months and months and months, which really prepped the U.S. audience for it. Still, that that might not mean anything when 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 people decide things for audiences. You know what I mean? Like they might as well hit a brick wall there, and it would have to play cut and dubbed. But the, the Sony and Columbia and all of that, they probably they 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 took a chance on this and obviously put their promotional money into it. Uh, but uh, it was not the promotion that got people in there. I think uh, there was a bust. There was a, a wave of opinions that started to grow. That this is special. 
Well, one of the things that uh, Tim Squires, who did the editing, says in one of the extras in the uh, in the uh, Blu-ray version that came out like in 2015, 2016, was they had no idea whether it was going to play well or not. Like there were there was great concern because the feeling was there might be too much martial arts for the art house crowd, which is certainly in the United States. Those are the kind of people that go to see, for the most part, subtitled movies. Okay, the art house crowd. So there might be too much martial arts for them. On the other hand, for traditional martial arts fans, there may not be enough in it. And as it turned out, they hit the perfect balance. I, th I don't think you could have a more perfect balance of movie with a heart to it, with a great story, and incredible martial arts. You know, stuff, Young Mo Ping, you know, just elevated his game probably in a to a considerable extent because of uh Ang Lee when what Ang Lee wanted him to do uh cuz as far as i know the the kind of wire work you see never seen anything like that before and unlike it, it is different versus the hong kong way i have some notes on it but the, it isn't a lazy rerun of uh, yung wo ping wire work from the past there, there are new techniques used here uh, mm -hmm. that aren't that are pretty special, to be honest. The, the more complex is the long right. and short of it. And one thing Ang Lee said that, you know, usually in a, in, and I hope I'm not stealing your thunder here, but usually in a Hong Kong martial art movie, most martial arts movie is like, okay, we're now ready for this action sequence. And the film's director says to the uh, action choreographer or the action director, okay, I need a, a, a four minute fight sequence here. It's between the good guy and these two bad guys. It lasts four minutes, and at the end of it, one of the bad guys is dead, and the other one runs away. Go shoot it, and I'm going to be over at the craft cart. It, 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 it sometimes was calculated, but even using those calculations, sometimes we got uh, classics out of Hong Kong. But you, you're not wrong, because uh, action director is sometimes to be taken very literally. Uh, and uh, Yu Wu Ping is an acclaimed director in, in uh, you know himself anyway so he he can run a set but uh, I, I have a feeling uh Ang Lee didn't um it's the difference with this production that uh, Ang Lee wa uh, his eye wa was there because uh, this needs to tell a story this is not uh, the cheapy of the week there are lots of shots in in the extras on the blu-ray that I have I mean I've got the old dvd as well but in the blu-ray the, the extras the 15 year uh specials that were made you know there's Ang Lee, right, with Yun Wo Ping. And clearly he's telling himself one of the things that Ang also wanted was, I mean, he had his actors and actresses giving dialogue during fight scenes, most particularly in the uh, in the scene at the, at the tea house where Zhang Ji just, like, kicks butt right, left, upside, downside. And meanwhile, she's talking. And, and, like, he wanted that as part of, like, to reveal what the character is about and and uh, he said, and it's a dangerous thing because the choreo the physical choreography is so complex. You know, you got swords flying and this, that, and the other thing. And yet they have to also remember that they have to say this at a certain point and they have to say it a certain way, you know. And so it, it can be very dangerous for an actor or actress. Um, 
you know, his status as director Angli, uh, in Hollywood t- took a jump into the mainstream because I think with Sense and Sensibility and The Ice Storm, these were acclaimed dramas, but uh, um, I-, I can't for the life of me remember that these took the box office by storm or anything. But um, uh, but he, t- he, uh, he took a jump into the mainstream for sure. And as did the genre of Wuxia, because uh, Zhang Yimou's subsequent epics, uh, Hero and House of Flying Daggers, uh, got wide exposure and appreciation by audiences despite con- continuing to roll them out subtitled it ju- just like crouching tiger hidden dragon so it was not a fluke these yeah. co- these were appreciated uh, uh despite being uh, despite being subtitled two things to touch you on from what you just said one is that when they were trying to sell crouching tiger hidden dragon you know trying to pitch it one of the things that Ang Lee, and I think he used it with michelle yo was it's sense and sensibility with martial arts <laughs> Uh, I forgot the other thing that I wanted to say. Yeah, sure. so, we, we just let it go with that. <laughs> I, accept, I can edit that, no problems. Yeah. Uh, back in Asia and at the Hong Kong Film Awards, the film was a major winner as well. It took home Best Film in Hong Kong, Best Director, Best Supporting Actress going to Cheng Pei Pei, Best Cinematographer, uh, Cinematography, and Best Cinematographer, obviously, uh, Best Score, and fittingly Best Action Choreography for Yun Wo Ping's work. And at the Taiwan Golden Horse Awards, it replicated some of the Hong Kong accolades, such as Best Film, but also it won several technical awards. So this was a favorite not just at the Oscars, but um, uh, uh, over, over in Asia as well. It had 100 award wins and 130 nominations. <laughs> and that ain't shabby. No, that ain't shabby indeed. Uh, some of the lesser acclaimed work that followed in the wake of this... Um, yeah, using the Crouching Tiger name, uh, a Taiwanese-produced 34-episode uh, TV series was released in 2001, and it was released uh, on uh, US DVD three years later as New Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon. It provided a more expensive, ex- expansive adaptation of the novel. However, it had mixed reception, uh, pointing towards the low budget hurt its uh, chances for long-lasting appeal uh, compared to the features. So it wasn't that big of a TV series in that regard. And in 2016, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon got a sequel called Sword of Destiny. It was uh, made for Netflix, shot in English, and directed by Yoon Wo-ping and starring uh, Michelle Yeoh and Donnie Yen. And uh, it, it adapted the subsequent and last book in the Iron Crane Pentalogy by uh, author Wang Du-Lu. And um, it, it is available globally, or most territories globally, because it is a Netflix movie. It received rather average reviews, and at one point anyway, held a 19 average score percentage-wise on Rotten Tomatoes. So, ouch. I'm not judging the movie, but I have a hard time sort of reconciling with the fact that it just feels odd that Netflix, who just have all the money in the world, wouldn't let this movie be shot in Mandarin. Uh, it feels odd to go the sequel route is fine but it feels odd that the insistence was that this needed to be in English Uh, despite because Netflix they give out movies like candy man and why this needed to be English, I, I, I'm still not sure. And it feels odd to me. Granted, you, you can watch it with a Mandarin dub uh, in certain territories. Which is the way I did. And I didn't even know that it was shot in English when I watched it with the Mandarin language soundtrack. <laughs> At that point, I didn't know that it had been, been originally shot in English. How was it, as a matter of fact, the movie, in, in short, uh, the, the sequel? It's, a, it's an okay Yun Mo Ping martial arts action movie. It has nothing to do with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. There is no heart to it. I mean, one of the things is that it was written by the uh, the guy who did the wrote the Forbidden Kingdom, which 
Its main claim to fame was uh, that it starred Jackie Chan with uh, Jet Li. I think the only time those two got together. And, uh, you know, this guy, I've forgotten his name, doesn't really matter. It's nothing like, doesn't have anything like the heart. And also, while you say that it stars uh, Michelle Yeoh and Donnie Yen, which is true to an extent, as I recall, it's really a Donnie Yen movie. Right. You know, there's not much that Michelle Yeoh does. And then it's just, you know, I mean, there's one scene where Donnie Yen is fighting a bad guy and they're at the top of this pagoda building and they come crashing down through roof level after roof level. And it's like, oh, hum, hum, you know, digital CGI, you know, it, it didn't do anything for me. It's it's OK, but it's nothing to write home about. If you have, as I do, you have Netflix streaming. It's a free watch. Indeed. So that's fine. I certainly certainly would not uh, recommend anybody spending any significant amount of money on it. And uh, we're at the review. You've done, you've done your short opinion. It was a nice and short opinion. Uh, I'm, I'm going to add some so a few sentences to my short opinion. Then we'll get, get into the nitty-gritty of it all. And it is pretty damn terrific. And it hits you emotionally. It did then. It still does. Admit that the only thing I felt a bit lukewarm towards, but it's nitpicking, was the Shang Ziyi Shang Chen love story. But it does connect to the larger piece of the drama as a whole and really well. So and and the themes surrounding the the different love stories that goes on. So it doesn't fail to resonate. I just thought that uh, I thought him in particular was a bit flat, to be honest, uh, Chang Chen. But uh, it's really my only complaint. Uh, that it resonates is the point of this wuxia movie it resonates as a film as a drama where ordinary characters of the fantasy world or rather the extraordinary characters of the fantasy world are human uh, the martial world is for once painted as an emotional place combined with the high flying capabilities and uh, very it, it does things very uniquely it isn't repeat it isn't a repeat of waifu movies out of hong kong from the 90s and if anything it's better but fans of traditional martial arts and weaponry will get a kick uh, watching the wonderfully elegant and balletic grounded fighting scenes as well. And m- much of it is featuring the actors. So you really can't go wrong. I think the, the audience appeal is uh, wide across the board. You know, it's not specialized for one type of audience. And I think that that's one of the reasons why it hit so, hit so hard and uh, was watched and uh, rewatched and uh, still is considered a classic to, uh, to this day. That, that that's the thing I want to talk uh, touch upon a little bit. Um, I mean, th- this is what I heard at the time that some people were dismissing the movie as well. We've seen this done in Hong Kong before. It's nothing special to us, and we, we've seen these sword these sword play movies and wuxia stories for years, so it's nothing new. And that's true. You've seen them for years, but Hong Kong got um, when this was mainstream when it became mainstream of the quality movies. You know, after Once Upon a Time in China did its thing which was a quality movie then it became mainstream and then everybody and their uncles did these um, new wave martial arts movies but crouching tiger hidden dragon was quality cinema it was engaging dramatic filmmaking which was rare for wuxia because sometimes it was just so damn confusing it was uh, crazy and frenzied wire spectacles and you had no idea what the story was about but here was a graceful ballet that felt like hong kong and Taiwanese uh, talent getting together and trying to make it different compared to what we've seen, make it more complex, uh, uh, enhance the formula a little bit. So I I'm, I'm, I could never get on board with the fact that people say like, well, been there, done that. It's it's nothing new. I still think it's uh, uniquely and uniquely better. 
And it's not the Hong Kong or Taiwanese repeat of a Choi Hak movie or a King Hu movie. But rather, it knows the genre it's playing in. It knows it very well, really. I mean, it's a it's, it's a miracle, as you said, that they got the story straight after, you know, <laughs> writing, translating back to, and then translating back to English and getting a coherent sense of it after that process. But um, um, I, I, I really think it's uh, unique and new. And also, Stan, it was so cool to watch Chow Yun-Fat essentially come home. Because the American career, although I, I like those movies, I like The Replacement Killers, I like The Corruptor, I really like Anna and the King, but it wasn't wowing American audiences. They weren't buying, you know, box office-wise, what it was about as an actor. And now he got the chance to show that he can be sold as a martial arts hero. To be honest, from frame one, Stan, Chow was made for this genre looking at his uh, costume design and look alone the way he carries himself with grace that sense of honor that sense of kindness is just from frame everything one giant fat is still the man totally and it, because uh, it's not like his dramatic chops are hidden because it's a kung fu movie no this is just something he was made for like you read about and finally american audiences could see what he was about and it wasn't a john woo movie and that's my sort of most wonderful memory that he got to do something that he had not done extensively before. He, he'd done Kung Fu here and there, but not extensively. And here, I mean, it was very rare for him. I mean, he did it. Certainly never with a shaved head. I don't think. Exactly, boy. <laughs> um, but the, it really, the, 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 that's one of my first notes. I'm so delighted that Chaim Fat just immediately showed that what it was about and sets the tone for the acting showcase that's going to happen here. You know what I mean? I've always felt that Chow Yun-Fat, he is to Hong Kong what Cary Grant was to Hollywood. For sure. You know, just a, an incredibly handsome, multi-talented guy. I mean, for, for Westerners who have known him long time, you know, he was associated so much with John Woo's movies. And, and in fact, <laughs> I, I saw him one extra that supposedly he, uh, he used to kid that, he made the, these these gun movie gun fu movies with uh, John Woo, and then he had to shoot guns for the next ten or twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and <laughs> one of the ironies is that apparently he really is afraid of guns. He doesn't like guns at all. And jo- John doesn't like them at all. He, he doesn't know anything about guns. Uh, John just used his uh, action instincts, you know. <laughs> right. You know, but the, the the crew had to constantly remind Chow Yun Fat keep your eyes open when you shoot the gun because he would he would close his eyes to the sound and the, and whatever of it or wear glasses <laughs> he, right he or wear right with dark glasses it doesn't show but uh you know he, he wound up doing okay with it yeah he's a, he, he was he was made for that because he, he was committed and this certainly is committed here and you know what's interesting too structurally well, one, the movie is actually despite being a period epic it's really simplified not 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 simple as a movie, but simplified and very easy. There's so few characters and the drama is very accessible. And interesting, Ang Lee, he doesn't drop us into the story by showing this epic shot of the skies and we'll go down to the city and establish. No, he just drops us into the story quickly without any stylish flourish as such. He just starts off the movie really quickly by having characters talk to each other calmly so it's almost like he's uh, he's back making his taiwanese movies where people talk to each other and we build drama that way only this is set in the in the martial world 
And I, I love that because uh, it shows that he wasn't uh, unprepared for this. He was really prepared and made, also as a director, made to tell a wuxia story. And I really like that because we get a sense of Chai and Fat and Michelle Yeoh's history right away. But Stan, without the movie going the exposition route, they just sit down and naturally talk to each other about... Um, they have they have a connection. They uh, they have a romantic connection that they haven't acted upon out of uh, respect. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much if you haven't seen it. And also, it's one of the few wuxia movies where, where characters talk of having failed. Having failed... Uh, training to be enlightened you know they and they, they feel uh, sadness and sorrow about this world they, they feel disillusioned and i always thought that whenever they played th- these stories in a human way which happened every now and again in hong kong then it was so much more interesting and it, they, they, this is one example where characters want to leave the violence behind uh, revenge they leave unfulf- unfulfilled in terms of revenge but they uh, they want to be fulfilled as persons instead, so they're ready to walk away. And I know that sounds like tropes, but for the Wuxia movie, and in my experience, it wasn't. They they had uh, pitch perfect heroes that did cool shit, but here we have people who don't want to be heroes. They want to walk away, and uh, circumstances dictate that they can't, because there are people who so want to be in the martial world because the martial world seems cool. And that's where Shang Chi's character comes in, <laughs> you know. Also, too, the, the being a part of that world places certain demands on people in terms of loyalty, and and the fact that um, Michelle Yeoh's character Shulian was once engaged to Chao Suan blood brother, you know, who died. Except <laughs> supposedly he didn't actually die. If you if you believe the sequel. Um, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! Spoiler! Oh. And I was like, like that. Don't touch the first movie, and suddenly the first movie makers of the second. <laughs> right, but uh, you know they have these repressed emotions, both of them. Uh, you know, because of 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 their du- the sense of duty and loyalty within the uh, Wuxia world, and it's only later on that that they're able to really kind of tran- to, to transcend them. How do you think uh, Ang Lee plays such scenes? Is it uh, is I'm I'm asking this in a way where if people don't know, I'm asking in a broad way. There, so th- does Ang Lee play emotions in a melodramatic way, or does he underplay in your estimation? Estimation, and what is better? Let's just say, if we're not going to spoil it too much, there's a very emotional scene near the end of the movie. It is magnificent. Supposedly, I mean, M- M- Michelle Yeoh's involved in it. Her character's involved, and and she she cries at a certain point, and Ang Lee had to like walk away because he was crying, you know, and and he said that the third take was good and the fourth take was even better, and then he said no more, he couldn't take any more. <laughs> but 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 does that mean it's too too much too heavy handed, or is is it uh, is it uh, in line with what we've seen before? Because what we've seen before has been calm a bit more calm a bit more repressed this happens right after let me just say <laughs> i'm trying not to spoil it if they haven't seen it and don't. but, but <laughs> another character says something before michelle yo's character gets all bubbly you know with tears and whatnot um it's not a her, her reaction is not overdone what that other character says i am getting choked up just remembering the words 
obviously, since we're not going to spoil it, I'm not going to read from my notes what this character, I'm not going to identify the character or what this character says, but it's like, that is so beautiful. And that's, that scene is one of the clinchers for why the movie found such an incredible audience and a varied audience, you know, because uh, it's not just about action and martial arts, which it is, and, but it's about romance and feelings. I mean, you've got you've got these two, as you've alluded to, there's these two rom romances, one that's not acted upon and another that that just eats up the, uh, the the film, you know, just really comes out strong. And it's like one uh, one half is like puppy love, you know, young puppy right. love, and, uh, and another has gone through decades of uh, a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. With that scene at the end, I would say the word melodrama has gotten a bad rap. It doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I'd say, yeah, maybe it's not wrong to describe this melodramatic but in the best sense i mean melodrama you know it, it, the root of it is in terms of like drama with music with feeling and whatnot and it's really good well done melodrama let me put it that way mm -hmm. it's exquisitely done because it's the it's a it's it's set up and it's evolved and uh, it's evolved through very um calm and understated exchanges of dialogue with some select um emotional beats so therefore to have a crescendo is earned and not uh melodrama cliches and tropes and like no. and, and like ugly manipulation of audiences i mean it, my experience with ang lee is a little bit spotty because i haven't seen a lot of his taiwanese work i love eat drink man woman which is a very unassuming film but it still hits you emotionally because you realize you've been you've been invested in these uh, characters and uh, Brokeback Mountain is a wonderful example of that that it is you know it, it isn't uh, manipulating you in, and is insecure about how to depict drama so I think right. uh, you very much see Ang Lee at the helm here and uh, earning through understated but not uh, you know clouded in sort of artistic showy stylish flourishes uh, you know it's understated very plain drama he just shoots his actors in elegant settings um, yeah. and uh, in elegant costumes and looking very regal in terms of uh you mentioned eat drink man woman okay the his first three feature films were uh pushing hands in 91 the wedding banquet in 93 and eat drink man woman in 94 again those collectively are sometimes referred to as his father knows best because they all have a very powerful father figure in in all three of those movies the actor who um is in that in those movies is um long shi hong he plays sir t he plays the father in the in ang lee's first three movies and uh crouching tiger hidden dragon came out in 2000 uh long died um in 2002 he was like 72 or thereabouts um but that was one of the interesting things i i you know that's why blu-rays and dvds are so great because if they have these extra features they add so immensely to your awareness and knowledge of things i had no idea it was the same actor he's a angli uh angli veteran i don't know if he brought him in for any of the his english language movies probably not in sense and sensibility but i don't know but uh he's uh he's a cool taiwan veteran you know that face uh, you don't you don't forget easily you know yeah his, uh, his last movie was this uh, Taiwanese production that um, uh, uh, called uh, Double Vision with uh, Tony Leung and uh, David Morse was in that movie as well. So uh, 
he uh, he he appeared as a as a doctor of some kind in that one so that's uh, pretty cool let's talk a little bit about the action uh, there there's some early signs of the sort of different levitating vibe that this movie does it's a very very graceful and very uh, expansive but we we still got also very calm, grounded action from Yoon Wo-ping, and it follows the action so well. It's super coherent, and there's also some remarkable camera work once we get going on the roof, uh, during the roof chase. Uh, there's one point where Michelle Yeoh and Shang Ziyi's characters, whether they're doubled or not at that point, they do like three or four leap-offs, and uh, the camera is following that from behind at one point and then you get to the ground with very thrilling hand-to-hand action leg work but it all has a sense of power and elegance so it's not it's powerful and soft but not you know it's not too uh, it's not lacking in power it's not too soft and Michelle Yeoh in particular just looks splendid doing all this and if you're gonna introduce Wuxia to a wider audience one do it well you know uh, and, and uh, believe believe in your product and push it out to a wide audience so i'm so glad they got this exposure to quality action as well because uh yung ping isn't doing as i said reruns of uh, his hong kong greatest hits and uh putting in a half decent job no i think he's elevating his uh, own skills too and it really is true that we get a big sense of the fact that the actors did a lot here there, there are obvious signs of doubling but they're very logical when they're doing very complex martial arts moves there, there's some overhead shots where clearly doubles are used but otherwise lee catches obviously the actors uh, you know it's very obvious when you see the actors but but i think even when masked uh, because it, 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 this is not a huge spoiler but even when masked you can see that Zhang ziyi is behind that you know because her eyes are unmistakable um, yeah. So I, I I don't think they were lazy in that regard. Just because she's masked, we can send Zhang Ziyi home for the day because we're merely going to work with the double. Hurrah! No, I, I think that they 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 uh, structured it so well to make sure that we train them and get them in as much as possible, and only when it's simply impossible and it's too dangerous, then we'll use doubles. Also, too, um, Michelle Yeoh, the first week of filming injured one of her knees Sweet uh, some God. of the ex- yeah <laughs> so, what, what, the extras one of the extras they, they they use the phrase that she broke her knee she, apparently she did not because in the extra that she talks about it it was an acl injury the anterior cruciate ligament one of the ligaments in the front of the knee okay she must have had a tear uh she said it was doing a simple thing you know but sometimes that that's when these things happen first week of filming she gets flown back to the United States to get the ACL tear repaired. They couldn't even do it in Asia, so they flew, flew her to. Apparently, they flew her back to the United States because wow. like, there's nobody better than certain people in the United States, and they were not going to take any chances <laughs> with that kind of an injury to that kind of person. To your leading um, lady, so. and and so she had to. For a lot of it, she had to wear a brace. There's also scenes though in that first chase. Now stuff. Stuff got rescheduled because of her injury. Like a lot of her action scenes had to get pushed towards the latter part of production. Uh, but you can see in the action when she's flying down the wall on the side of a wall, that's her own wires. And one of the things, of course, she can do the wire work. Why? Because she's not standing on her leg. <laughs> she's supported by the wires. But there was another scene, and it was really neat the way they broke it down. I think it's in that chase scene. Her character jumps off of a of a roof lands on the ground sort of like squats down 
below the bottom of the uh, picture frame. Then Michelle Yeoh, who has been standing out of picture the whole time, stands up and you see her. And then she starts to lean forward and then the camera zooms and a second stunt person who's been waiting out of frame gets up and goes running. So you see the, <laughs> you know, you see yet a second stunt double from the rear running away. All Michelle Yeoh actually did in this one particular scene was she crouched down, she stood up, she leaned forward, and then it cut away from her because um, that's what they had to do because she couldn't run at that point because of the leg injury. Um, but like, as you say, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff where you can see that it is the main characters, Michelle, Zhang Ziyi, and Chao Yun-fa, doing their own stunts. You know, up and up the stuff in the in the bamboo forest. There's shots in the extras of 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 Chao Yun-fa getting lifted up, and he's looking at the camera, he's smiling and waving. You know, and not lifted up a little bit in the air. It's no way up in the air, way way up. I mean, and and of course that I don't think there's any doubt, even though I didn't see any particular specific mention of it, you know, it's certainly an homage to King Yu, who's uh, Taste of Zen. Yeah, you can play King Hu bingo, but Ang Lee is uh, honoring uh, both, you know, uh, the, the sort of collected works of uh, King Hu. You know, you, you can say that the Shang Ziyi arrival at the inn is, uh, is pure... Come drink with me, which is obviously right. great because Cheng Pei Pei starting Come drink with me, and she's in this movie. So, but he isn't there. He isn't there to replicate moments. He's there to replicate no. what we know of the genre. When you go to an inn, there can be tense standoffs. Who did tense standoffs uh, better than anyone? King Who did, and obviously with a touch of Zen, that bamboo, its bamboo force fight, is iconic. But uh, I think Ang Lee is wise, wise to honor it here but do a completely different uh, uh, set piece you know uh, he makes it his own clearly because king who didn't and couldn't technically do what's on screen here and i think that that that's like this pitch perfect balance between uh, you know knowing your history and you should honor your history but you know further it you know make something that king who would have been proud of one of, one of the things that i wondered is if if king who had the access to the technology, what would he have come up with? I mean, because in that sequence in the bamboo forest, the people who did the digital special effects, I mean, this is one of the things that made it uncertain whether the film was going to make it to con on time was because they had all these frames where they had to take out every single wire. They have to paint in all these leaves where things were, you know, incredibly demanding digital work to clean those images up and obviously you know back in the day that that kind of technology wasn't available so you had to do it in a way that it didn't look like crap you know what the great thing is too about the wire removal back back in this day they today i mean maybe not for every movie but today all two floaty cg characters would have been created and and that doesn't thrill me back back in the day when they made crouching tiger these were the actors and you just needed to remove the support system <laughs> from them. Right. But it still looks flawless, man, because it isn't like you see, uh, it's not pasted, they're not pasted into environments and it's very clever the way they do the the more complex wire moves where, where they literally 
make turns around trees and then go onto the water and then uh, you know take a leap off from the surface of the water and, and onwards that that obviously is cg shots but they never look too floaty and too fake and um, really they, this pitch perfect balance between what they shot physically and what they had to do in post is is there i mean and it's unmistakably you know shang Yi and chai fat up there in the trees and uh blowing like uh you know being as loose as leaves almost as they try to improvise that fight almost because um, they're they're on shaky ground literally because uh, these uh, trees are shaky branches shaky branches indeed <laughs> uh speaking of her by the way shang Yi, we, we won't spoil too much but obviously her story she, she is a young kid that um that, that wants the martial world and she uh, and it's a neat thing they talk about um she's ha- she's read fiction about characters like lee mobai and she loves it and that's what she, she believes it. She, and she believes it so uh, how, you know we're not spoiling it is that enjoyable to have uh such a young new character that wants all of this versus the characters that do not want all of this because they've lived this so is that an enjoyable part of the drama and affecting part of the drama to have these contrasting characters that want different things in and out literally i i think i think in a sense it's what makes the movie this this contrast and and she's perfect i mean one one of the things that's certainly worth mentioning uh this and it's so amazing for me to 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 have realized this Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was her second feature film. Sure. She was about 20 years old. Not too long before that, she had made The Road Home for Zhang Yimou. And in fact, according to Ang Lee, it was Zhang Yimou who recommended her for the character of Jen to, to Ang. And why why wouldn't he? Because she, she, she was perfect in that movie. And those, uh, those uh, eyes uh, experiencing puppy love in that movie was just uh, in The Road Home was just uh, remarkable it was not a physical role like this was uh, I, I don't know did, did anyone talk of the to, I, i'm just guessing here but did anyone talk of her having a, any kind of dance background like michelle did or she she was totally green doing action shang would doing choreography there was no mention of it but as i recall she had studied dance i mean she studied acting at one of the most prestigious if the not the most if not the most prestigious um school in china but she'd also studied dance a lot as had um uh michelle yo when she was younger in fact michelle yo had studied ballet until i think it was a knee or a leg injury you know made a career in ballet not practical for for her and then she went into the painless world of making hong kong action movies <laughs> right yeah you know, where you only do things like break your back and uh and uh have an acl injury um but but the the one of the interesting things is uh, you know the dance background of these two actresses. Ang Lee has said, oh, you know, people talk to me. They say, oh, you made this kind of movie and that kind of movie because he's, in a sense, a, a lot like Stanley Kubrick. He doesn't repeat himself, and he does a whole lot of different types of movies really, really incredibly well. Um, and they say, oh, how about why don't you make a, a musical? And he goes, I did make a musical. It's called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. <laughs> Because to him, that's what it is. I mean, and and, and yeah, the, the the action stuff, the choreography. There's a musical aspect to all that. So for both Michelle and Zhang Ziyi, their whatever training each of them respectively had in dance certainly helps them a lot. Most of the action sequences, uh, I, I understand, 
you know, maybe different in the little parts where she does like Zhang Si does dialogue, but in most of the action sequences, they are filmed. Uh, the term is MOS, which comes from the German phrase "mit out sounds," meaning you know they're not live recording sound during the action scenes. Why? Because the guys on the crew and the action director and choreographer, they're counting stuff out loud, you know, one, two, three, duck, you know, whatever, whatever it is they might say. Yeah, and so sense. all those all those sounds that you hear of the swords clashing or a whoosh as something goes flying past, that's all added in post-production. You, you wonder then how how anal Ang Lee would be about even though we're going to dub it, you still need to deliver that exact dialogue you know what i mean yeah. uh, so, so so still we talked of the challenges of mixing dialogue and action i'm sure that still was a major challenge despite not shooting live sound yeah i i i would imagine that he was there watching like when when in the scene in the uh tea house where she's giving dialogue while she's flailing her sword around that he was probably on site watching making sure that she was saying it then because I'm sure he, she would say it out loud, even though it wasn't being recorded. Yeah. That she was saying it in such a way that when they dub it with the background sounds as well, that it that it would work right. You know, I I don't think Ang Ang Lee would would just let let that be uh, be done in a sloppy manner. No, that's the Hong Kong way and not uh, the Ang Lee way. Yeah, <laughs> you you hear that sometimes when Westerners come in to do Hong Kong movies. Uh, because they 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 were gonna dub it anyway, so they just say uh, count to ten and uh, we'll dub it afterwards, you know. So it was not like they did their magnificent Western dialogue uh, or anything, uh, but uh, they they counted to ten and then they dubbed them into Cantonese cinema. One of, one of the th- th- sad things I must say about getting prepared for this was I was crushed to discover that Zhang Ziyi is married and has a kid. You know, there's 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 been a part of shame me on her always, for living her life, oh, right? <laughs> That always hoped like something would happen and we'd be brought together and because she's one of the most beautiful, most talented people. And, and of course, it's interesting to note, if I may just throw out a line, that she later worked with Michelle Yeoh again in um, Memoirs of a Geisha. You know, a lot of incestuous stuff. And she also worked with uh, Chang Cheng in uh, the, um, the Grandmaster. Right, I I never saw that, or I haven't seen it yet because I'm... you never see, Oh well, well, be sure that you see the original version, not the one that was Harvey Weinstein. Right, and I'm not I'm not talking about the sexual predator. I'm, you know, he 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 did his standard. Okay, let's cut you cut it down, and of course, Wong Kar Wai loves it. Wong Kar Wai loves nothing more than like working on his movies infinitely. But um, cut it down because American audiences don't want it that long, and we'll throw in some rap music or some shit like that, you know. That, but see the original version, which yeah, it, it's just because I'm not the biggest fan of Wong Kar Wai, but it's on a movie to movie basis, and I've heard good things about the Grandmaster. I mean, uh... no, the, the Grandmaster is definitely definitely fine. Um, my Blueberry Nights is something that I understand you could miss. I I haven't even seen that one. Yeah, but, uh, uh, but I'm I'm one of the the cynical bastards who uh, write off uh, Shunking Express as um, not that great. But that's just my opinion. Uh, so there it is. Uh, I know other notes really other than um, I, I won't spoil it, but it's wonderful that uh, as knowledgeable it is about wuxia and the tropes of the martial arts action movie. It, it it doesn't follow it 
as such, especially come ending time. It doesn't follow uh, the expected structure, and it's better for it. It, it doesn't forget the kind of movie it was uh, making, the kind of story it was uh, telling. And it, and it, it is, as we hinted, hinted at, it's the quiet that's hugely emotional here. There's almost small, silent lines spoken towards the end and i'm not saying any more context than that but those small silent lines have huge impact because of what the setup has been prior in the movie and what the dialogue has been and what the emotional weight has been through very simple dialogue and sometimes mid-movie characters touch for the first time and that's a major thing and that carries into the finale and all of that and it's it, it it's wonderful i mean they we we understand all of it because uh, the characters are entirely outspoken of what they are feeling amidst all this action and emotions but that's not only insecurity or anything he's per- it's perfectly fine that he communicates fully what this meant to his characters uh, you know as uh, violence shaped them and uh, violence that shaped this world how how that affects them and all of that and so clarity is not insecurity in terms of filmmaking. I, I really like that about the ending. That uh, yes, he underplays stuff, but uh, have the character speak and uh, lay it out, lay it all out there. That that's also fine. So uh, uh, so you you can sense, listeners, that when you watch the movie and when you discuss it, you, you're going to have a, a huge chunk devoted to discussion of the emotional impact and discussion of the action impact. And I think any audience who saw this walked away feeling, uh, hopefully, anyway, uh, great about. Um, about both those aspects if we boil it down uh, to those two things and uh, I'm, I'm glad it survived and i'm glad it's uh knowing a little bit more about wuxia and how you know i, I don't know if you because you, you talked about prime there's a lot of Shaw brothers movies on prime and a lot of these completely incomprehensible uh, wuxia stories from Shaw brothers and i don't know if you you like watching those but it's certainly it's certainly not one of those that just showers the narrative with new characters entering without any setup and then twists and turns galore where you don't know anything about anyone and what they're fighting about and it's almost uh, it's almost so packed that it's uh, enjoyable because of that but this is not one such wuxia tale and uh, I'm, I'm glad it, I'm, I'm glad it's um, it's adhering to the fact that he wants to tell a, a clear, coherent, emotionally impactful story, and uh, and boy does it does it, does it uh, do that because uh, the ending in indeed is uh, is uh, tough to get through, but uh, it should be. Uh, so I'll, I'll conclude it right there. Uh, go watch it for heaven's sake, and uh, even though it's an 18-year-old movie, uh, keep it spoiler-free and uh, and uh, show your friends, tell your friends. Oh, by the way, I wanted to tell one thing. I I'm, I'm wishing this was the case. I noticed a little uh, Yoon Wo Ping sneakily going back to a piece of choreography he did for Snake and the Eagle Shadow. At one point, I think it's Cheng Pei Pei standing behind Shang Si Yi and sort of steering the spear and who it hits as she she's holding it shang Yi, but cheng pei pei is behind her making sure it hits the right person i know i'm explaining it very poorly there's a similar comedic beat in snake and eagle shadow where simon yun is uh, standing behind a den not martial arts able jackie chan he essentially takes out the villains but it's simon yun standing behind him doing the doing the pole work and it's a small little beat in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I just wish that it's uh, sort of Yung Ping saying, hey, let's, let's throw in something for the fans for, of my movies. 
and uh, without it being this show-stopping moment or anything. So, so, uh, so look for that in this in the f- former half of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, involving Cheng Pei Pei and Zhang Ziyi. And uh, um, I'm, 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 I'm hoping it's a throwback to uh, one of uh, Yun Woping's uh, breakout movies, Snake and the Eagle Shadow. So that's my final note. Go watch it. Uh, any final note? Uh, anything else you want to share from the movie, Stan? One, one quick thing. Again, the uh, the film and film's editor talked about. I mean, he did, he knows a few words in Mandarin, but he doesn't really understand Mandarin. And again, this is just like to allude to one of the many difficulties in making this movie. I mean, I say just making just about any movie is a hard nut to crack. This one had a lot of stuff. I mean. 100 and some degree temperatures in the Gobi Desert, dust storms, Michelle Yeoh's <laughs> ACL injury, uh, two of the main characters not speaking Mandarin, so on and so forth. Okay, the, the film's editor was talking at one point about how for him to do stuff, it's sometimes he had to send messages to somebody. For example, I think it's the scene where Michelle Yeoh is having uh Zhang Zi's character and and her her mother they're having tea together and she's alluding to something that happened the night before where a policeman got killed mm-hmm. yeah yeah she's trying to read Zhang Zi's character a little bit right so. okay um and and she's deliberately drops this thing about a policeman getting killed and so the film editor had to send a message to somebody who knows the mandarin what is the word for policeman, you know, cause he's, he's got the script in English, you know, that, that this is what Michelle Yeoh is saying, blah, 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 blah. He says, I need to know what the Mandarin word is so that when he hears that word while watching the, the scene, he knows when he has to cut to the reaction shot. You know, in other words, Michelle Yeoh is going to say killed a policeman. And then he's got to cut to another character to show that character's reaction to learning that a policeman has been killed. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's like, my God, could you possibly make it any harder, you know? <laughs> send a carrier send a carrier pigeon to Zhuang Li. I need to know shit. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, that as yet just another example. Just for me, just further exemplifies what an incredible achievement this movie is. I mean, as I said, it's a perfect 10 for me. Seven Samurai is a perfect 10. These are like desert island movies. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm going to be stuck on a desert island, presumably with an unbreakable widescreen TV set and a blue play rayer that will never break, wear down and an infinite you know, supply of electricity, and I'm only going to take one movie with me, it's probably going to be Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. There it is. Others might be Seven Samurai, um, you know, to, to get um, uh, Doctor Strangelove by Kubrick. I'd argue 2001 if talking Kubrick. Yeah, if I were to pick one movie, like I, I gotta go with 2001. Well, you know that, that that's not a shabby one either. You know, um, <laughs> but I mean, right. you know, yeah, yeah it's, I, I give that a perfect ten. Also, um, Wild Strawberries by uh, Ingmar Bergman. I mean, certain movies are just like they're not just tens, but they're perfect tens it's like you can't possibly say anything better about the movie in my book than that and certainly crouching tiger hidden dragon is one of those so as you said if you haven't seen it see it if you've seen it see it again i can testify that it really holds up to multiple viewings i saw it in the theater i bought the dvd 
I don't know how many times. I know I must have watched it at least once. I bought, not too long ago, a Blu-ray version, with which also has a 4K Ultra HD, which may give me reason to go out and buy an Ultra HD TV and Ultra HD uh, Blu-ray player. Um, I just watched the regular Blu-ray. And then in preparation for this, I watched it, the Blu-ray again. So that's at least four times that I've seen this movie. And watching it in preparation for our discussion, it was every bit as enthralling as it was. And in fact, I've now started to watch it again with the Ang Lee, James Seamus commentary just to learn some more stuff about it because it's just that good. And uh, as for availability, it is widely available on Blu-ray and digital uh, platforms. Uh, that uh, newer anniversary edition of uh, of the movie uh, includes past ex- extras such as that commentary, but also newly produced uh, retrospective material. Uh, at one point, they recorded another commentary with... Um, cinematographer peter powell on on his own and and i heard that's a good little discussion because if you peter's actually quite an engaging fellow he speaks great english uh, anyway and uh he, he can carry a two-hour movie on his own because uh, i know he did a commentary for the ronnie you movie phantom lover and he's 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 fun to listen to and a very engaging uh, engaging and not just stuck in technical dry mode or anything so and he he's a director himself even though he's he's not had as much acclaim uh, as a director, I mean, he 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 did a movie back in the day, I believe, called Misty, which was okay. Uh, then he did The Touch with Michelle Yeoh, which was not okay, but still, I can't say anything bad about uh, Peter Powell in general. So go check it out. And there's a a bunch of old uh, behind the scenes stuff, uh, possibly some new retrospective uh, material. But uh, the iTunes version as well as the Blu-ray version have all of these extras. And uh, I was lucky enough to get. Um, Crouching Tiger just recently on sale on iTunes with all those hours of extras for four ninety nine. But uh, even if it's full price on iTunes, twelve dollars or fourteen dollars, it's worth it because it's a packed uh, packed edition and the Blu-ray should be similarly priced. Uh, so you can't go wrong. Uh, so there it is. Thank you very much, Sam, for uh, taking part and uh, bringing the enthusiasm and knowledge as. Uh, Always, um, you know, we we don't uh, plan these discussions in terms of we we gotta talk Western movies only with Stan. And we, I I bring together movies, throw out suggestions, and uh, you uh, you uh, picked up the scent that uh, it was crouching tiger time and brought uh, brought the love and passion for it. So thank you very much for for engaging in that. Well, thank you. Good to be back again, and uh, hopefully we'll do it in an even shorter period of time next time. Sure. We, we have a, a, a wide roster of uh, role-taking participants and uh, you never, uh, you're never forgotten, even though I've, I haven't contacted you for a while. But you're never, forgo- you're never forgotten. Remember that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think so. Uh, cool, my friend. Uh, for some brief contact information to finish this one off, uh, for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. Okay, click on the relevant uh, links for this episode in the show post, uh, but also follow us on the various social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And uh, if you have any thoughts on uh, Broken Arrow or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, let us know on email and the social media and all of that good stuff. We would love to hear from you. So if you have any memories of uh, following the, uh, the impact that Crouching Tiger uh, had, then... Uh, then do share and i do recommend going to youtube to uh, see uh, 
Peter Powell's acceptance speech at the Oscars because he, he did a wonderful thing where he wanted to thank as many people as possible from his past and current uh, current times. So he, he just rattled off names of essentially everyone he's ever worked with, and just da 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 da. And he was so wonderfully passionate, and so he felt so genuinely happy being up there. And you, 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 they cut away to Chai and Fat sitting in the audience and they just laughing their asses off because he's, he's rattling off all of our friends, man. <laughs> he's talking of our friends and he's not stopping. They're not playing him off. So just go, Peter. Go. You earned your fucking moment. Go. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, there it is. Uh, but uh, let's uh, sign off then. So uh, I've been Kennedy uh, with me, a special co-host and uh, special guest uh, discussing Broken Arrow and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was Dr. Stan Glick. So... Take us out, buddy, and say bye. Bye.